From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. When the COVID crisis hit the U.S. in 2020, some government officials reacted badly, and we saw firsthand that local, state, and federal governments have sweeping restrictive powers during a declared emergency. While we didn't see the gun industry specifically targeted in Ohio, we saw exactly that in other states. In response, legislation has been introduced to prevent such abuses in the future, and it's the most powerful legislation of its kind in America. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad to be with you, Dean. Rob, they say you learn a lot about people by the way they react in a moment of crisis, and we've certainly learned a lot about elected officials over the past year during this so-called COVID crisis. Seven states ordered the firearm industry closed and infringed on Second Amendment rights of citizens. This included our neighbors in Michigan, in addition to New Mexico, Massachusetts, New York, Vermont, Washington, and of course, California. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer may be the poster child for infringing on constitutional rights in a time of emergency. During an interview with the anti-gun Bloomberg-backed organization Every Town for Gun Safety, she actually boasted about putting 6,600 Michigan citizens who work in the firearm and ammunition industry out of work by deeming them non-essential. And remember, this was at a moment when concern about personal protection and gun sales were skyrocketing. She actually said, and this is a quote, I would do it again. I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to be bullied into doing things differently. It was very clear the purchase of a gun does not fall in that life-sustaining criteria. Rob, that just does not compute. No, no, especially for a place like Michigan, right? We're talking about a state that's known for gun ownership, a state that at one time was leading edge on things like concealed carry. And now you've got a governor who the state might as well be Massachusetts when it comes to gun rights, you know? And so that's really stunning. Uh, and I think sent a shockwave through people here, but all across the country. So, Rob, let's just jump right into this. Last year, we saw what was going on in states like Michigan. And I picked up the phone. I called you and I said, Rob, let's run a bill here in Ohio to prevent this kind of abuse of power. And we began crafting legislation that is now being hailed as the most powerful bill of its kind in the United States. Now, there are actually two companion bills, one's in the House, one's in the Senate, and they're identical. Yes. This, and this legislation was created in a collaborative effort by Representative Scott Wiggum, Senator Tim Schaefer, Buckeye Firearms Association, the National Rifle Association, and the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And I think it's worth pointing out 
that in addition to the two primary sponsors, the bill, both of these companion bills, have a total of 58 co-sponsors in the House and Senate. We've had a great response in terms of initial support for the idea. I think a lot of uh, members of the House and Senate are just concerned about what the entire COVID crisis demonstrated, right? And what it demonstrated is that government has, frankly, unchecked power in many places that people just never considered until this past year, right? So uh, we were very fortunate here in Ohio that, that, that our governor and our legislature didn't attack gun rights as part of the COVID crisis. But boy, you saw what happened up north in Michigan, realizing that Ohio could have gone down that same path. I think that's the thing that I took away from it. And, and, and by doing so, we need to do something about that. We can't let that vulnerability stay. Rob, why don't you just walk us through the elements of this legislation? What exactly do these companion bills do for gun owners? Sure. So the first thing I would say is this. Many people will remember during the COVID crisis, you started hearing government decide what's essential, or you used the phrase a minute ago, what is life-sustaining? So when we put this bill together, we decided we'd just combine that, right? And so we're going to define these things as life-sustaining essential activities. And included in that on the firearms front is your right to own, your right to possess, your right to transport, your right to train or seek classes, uh, your right to have access to a shooting range so you can practice, uh, your right to have uh, access to have your concealed handgun license processed. You know, if there was one area in Ohio where things got uh, dicey in terms of the uh, COVID restrictions, it's that there was a period of time where people were having problems getting their CHL processing done. And so as a result, uh, we felt it was necessary to make sure that that our county sheriff's offices understand, you know, it's not a choice. The legislature requires that the sheriffs perform those activities and make CHL processing accessible to people. The bill, it goes a step farther. Uh, it also defines hunting as a life-sustaining essential service, but also hunting-related businesses, right? So uh, your hunting preserves where people go and hunt birds or guides and outfitters who take people hunting. I mean, we are, after all, talking about food, which is about as life-sustaining and essential as it gets. So if I was going to put this in one umbrella, I would say, you know, anything that we do with firearms, you know, whether it's our ability to protect ourselves, uh, our ability to transport, our ability to train and learn, uh, and our ability to, to seek food, it's all protected under this bill. Now, a few years ago, and I'm talking back in 2005, we really saw what can happen at the extreme. If you remember, there was uh, a disaster. It's called Hurricane Katrina. And this was a very large Category 5 Atlantic hurricane that, uh, you know, swept into the New Orleans area, hit that area and all the surrounding areas really hard. You actually had about 1,800 people who died because of that. There was something on the order of $125 billion in damage. And the very moment that citizens needed to protect themselves from criminals, because there was a lot of looting, there was gang activity going on at the time, New Orleans officials actually ordered the confiscation of firearms from residents. And now I'm going to quote from a New York Times article that described what was going on. And they said, 
local police officers began confiscating weapons from civilians in preparation for a forced evacuation of the last holdouts still living there. Police officers and federal law enforcement agents scoured the city carrying assault rifles, seeking residents who have holed up to avoid forcible eviction. Now, the Post also had a quote, and, and this one really is the one that blows my mind. This was from New Orleans Superintendent Edwin Compass, and he was quoted as saying, no one will be able to be armed. No one will be able to be armed. And quote, guns will be taken. Only law enforcement will be allowed to have guns. Now, this is just, I mean, I'm, I'm awestruck at the audacity of those kind of statements. These seizures, Rob, were often done at gunpoint. There was a knock on the door, they opened the door, and there were officials there with guns and said, you know, hand over your firearms. There were no receipts given for the property taken, and this was at a time when, you know, no one was answering 911. Citizens were entirely on their own. This place was like a war zone. It was it was devastated, or about to be devastated. Rob, that's completely backwards. Guns are needed most during an emergency. It's like the officials were saying, well, okay, you can have guns when you don't need them, but when you do, we're going to take them away from you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's just crazy to think that was ever able to happen, you know, and, and that, of course, that spawned the beginning of the trend of these kinds of bills passing in other states. And I think this past year and a half with the COVID crisis, it just opened the door up again because what we saw was government just seizing rights, government just seizing uh, the initiative and saying, you know, this business is a winner and we're going to allow them to stay open. And this this business over here is not essential. So that basically, you know, government was picking winners and losers. And, uh, you know, fortunately here in Ohio, gun businesses were never impacted. But boy, you know, in Michigan, you know, Whitmer, Governor Whitmer, she's talking about how not only did she shut them down, but she's proud that she shut them down. And I, and I think it completely, it, well, you made the point, it completely ignores the idea that when when am I most going to likely need my firearm? And that's when society is breaking down. And you know what? In the middle of the COVID crisis this past year, we saw some society breaking down, did we not? In the streets unrelated to COVID, we saw it. And so the idea that, you know, government's going to tell me I can't have my firearms because we're in the middle of a COVID crisis, and yet there's rioting in the streets. There's looting of businesses. Businesses being burnt down. Police just frankly not having control of the streets any longer. I mean, if there's ever a time that firearms were needed, it was this past year and a half. Now, Rob, uh, in some other states, they have passed some emergency power bills of one kind or another. After Hurricane Katrina, you know, we saw this. There were there were lawsuits and bills started to be passed. Today, the firearm industry has bills something like this in, in maybe 24 states. Right. But Ohio is not one of them. Now, the right. bill the bill that, that you've described is by far the most powerful anywhere. But 24 states have at least something. So it's really strange that we don't have this in Ohio. And I think it's certainly time that we do it. And we want to do it now before we have some other administration that might be like, you know, more like Michigan, or more like California, or more like one of these other states where they treat rights as privileges 
and decide that they're going to infringe on rights because we can have disasters here just like anywhere else. Well, right. You know, and, and I've already been asked, you know, as we were circulating this concept among legislators, you know, I was already asked by some people like, well, wait a minute, don't, don't you think we're pretty friendly down here at the state house toward gun rights? I mean, why, why do you think this is necessary? And I guess, you know, from the, from the point of view of the folks asking that question, well, sure, you know, by and large, they haven't attacked us, but that's not really the point. The point is when could we get this done? Right. Is it necessary to have it done? Well, I think Michigan proved that we need to get something like this on the books. So the question is, when would you do it? Well, you would do it when you believe you have a favorable legislature to work with. And we certainly have that right now. We've got lots of uh, senators and representatives who have represented themselves as being pro Second Amendment. And this bill is going to give them a chance to show it. But now's the time to pass the bill. We, we shouldn't wait until Gresham Whitmer's cousin is governor of Ohio. We should get this done now so that if we ever do face that calamity, we'll at least have built some defenses to protect our rights in the meantime. Rob, you, you made my hair stand up when you said that. Don't don't <laughs> don't even say something like that. Um, you, you know, can, can I just say this? Years ago, go back 10 years. If I would have said to you that New Mexico was going to be a, a blue state. I think you would have said, boy, I'll take that bet, Rob. I don't believe that. Now, New Mexico is now reliably left-wing. New Mexico is now a state where they're legalizing drugs even as they seek to take gun rights away, right? I mean, New Mexico has turned its politics on its head over the last 10 years. And that that kind of thing can happen overnight. So I think Boy, you know, I, I think now is the time to build the defense. Now is not the time to rest on our laurels and think, you know, we're in pretty good shape. Right. Uh, Rob, the, you know, the Second Amendment, uh, last time I read it, does not have a pandemic or natural disaster clause. And that's for a reason. In fact, if you talk to people who study the Second Amendment, it's sometimes referred to as the Doomsday Amendment. And you've seen in the past where people will refer to the Second Amendment as something that's outmoded, it's antiquated, we need to get rid of it. After all, you know, this is a pretty gun-friendly country, so why do we actually need it? Well, that's the same argument we're talking about right now, right? It's let's trust people to do the right thing at the right time, and that's just never the way things work out. In a country this big, you're going to have bad things happen, people are going to make bad decisions, we need to build the bulwark now so that later on, if something happens, and if we get a really bad administration who decides that rights are nothing more than privileges, we'll have it there when we need it. Yeah, that's right. We, th- now is the time to get it done, that's for sure. And, and you know something else we haven't talked about yet, and that is that our firearms industry in this country really provides a dual function, right? So it provides firearms for people like us to purchase for whatever reason we want to purchase them, whether it be home defense or for recreation, but the industry provides that access for us. But the industry also supplies our armed forces, right? And so we ever get to a point to where the government can just willy-nilly shut down the firearms industry during times of emergency, they would actually be endangering our very ability to defend the country overall. You know, businesses don't just sell firearms as part of war preparations. And so, you know, we're basically the the largest segment of gun buyers in this country, and and we're a major part of the firearms industry. 
Well, and it serves law enforcement as well. Right. And, you know, you and I have had this discussion. A lot of people think the firearms industry is massive. That it, That is this gigantic, you know, multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And it's really not. The firearms industry compared to a lot of other businesses is actually pretty small. So yeah. it doesn't take a lot of shutdown to really cause problems throughout the industry. We're seeing that right now as we're talking, there's still an ammo shortage. And that's just because there's been a spike in buying and that spike was enough to cause shortages everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, Dean, one aspect of this bill we haven't talked about yet, and I think this is probably the most important piece of this emergency powers bill. You know, there are lots of laws on the books that aren't enforced or that they don't have any real penalty when they're violated. We've seen that. This emergency powers bill has enormous teeth in it. This bill is built in that gives the ability of a person whose rights are infringed upon to bring an action, to bring a suit against the city, the county, the state, whoever were to infringe upon their rights to bring a a civil action against them, a lawsuit. And that city, that town, that county, they'd have to pay damages. And it's spelled out. They'd have to pay damages and they'd have to pay the legal fees of the person bringing the action. And I think that was really key to when we drafted this, that we didn't just want to say government can't do it. We wanted to say government can't do it. And if they do, they're going to pay a steep price for doing so. And that's really important because we've seen, for example, we've sued Columbus and Cincinnati over bump stocks, which is a fairly minor little thing, but it was about the principle that you know, government can't have its own firearm regulation at the local level in Ohio. So, you know, we've seen again and again that local governments, that, you know, city governments, counties, whatever, they often just ignore the law. Uh, States often ignore the law as well. And the only way that you can deal with that is lawsuits. Just passing a law is not enough. That's really just the first step. You've got to enforce that law somehow. And... When we're talking about the state, what else are you going to do other than launch a lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, that's really our recourse, right? So so when we drafted this legislation, you know, we put real teeth in it. If, if your city violates this law, number one, they're going to wind up paying the person that they do it to. Number two, they're going to wind up paying for that guy's lawyers and all of his legal fees. And number three, they're going to wind up paying for any damages they cause to firearms you know something I think a lot of people don't think about when when we talk about gun seizures. You ever seen these news reports when they take guns? You know the guns aren't sitting in dry gun safes, all propped up, spaced out from each other. They're typically in piles, right? Or they're propped up in piles. So the idea that government would ever take your firearms, the chances you're going to get them back and get them back in any decent order are pretty slim. But this bill, it would penalize. A government agency who did such a thing, not only would they be civilly liable for what they did, but they'd also be liable for any damages caused to those firearms. Well, Robin, that's exactly what we saw after Katrina. You know, the, the NRA sued and eventually they got some of those firearms back, but a lot of them were rusty. They were in terrible condition. They were damaged and there was no recourse. If they, right. People just lost their firearms because they were just stacked up and, you know, they did this at a time when New Orleans was uh, flooded yeah. and it was yeah. in a very, a very moist environment. 
not ideal storage conditions at all. No, and obviously not something they they even cared about. You know, they were more interested in getting uh, in seizing the guns rather than taking care of them. You know, we've been very fortunate as we've built this legislation. Our sponsors are really committed Second Amendment activists, Representative Scott Wiggum and State Senator Tim Schaefer. They're really committed to our cause. And then our three partners, you know, the uh, Buckeye Firearms Association, the NRA, and of course, National Shooting Sports Foundation, we've all had a like mind that we wanted to build the strongest type of legislation uh, that's ever existed in this term, in terms of this emergency powers thing. So, you know, Chris Lee, who you've had on this program before with National Shooting Sports Foundation, after we got done building this model, he took it back to the national headquarters of, of their trade association. He came back and said, Rob, this will be the strongest bill of its type. And I think that's what we deserve, right? So, I think our, our goal is to see this thing pass quickly. Uh, we intend to put all of our resources behind it. Uh, and this is meaningful legislation providing real protection that's badly needed. And, and I just want to point out for those listening that this does not mean in any way that we're walking away from constitutional carry or that we've no. stopped fighting against some of the anti-gun bills we've seen introduced. You know, we can chew gum and walk at the same time and, and do a bunch of other stuff simultaneously. This is just a bill that really needed to be passed now. That This is, you know, as they say, strike when the iron is hot. So we, we yep. believe we have enormous support for this in addition to constitutional carry. So we need to get it done now while we can. Yeah, yeah. And, and I still strongly believe we're going to see constitutional carry done this, this legislative session as Dean, of course, you know that that's our top priority for this session. But if we have a 1A, if constitutional carry is one, then the emergency powers bill is 1A. And you talk about strike while the iron is hot. Right now, people have had enough of government overreach in our lives. You know, we're seeing that, that, that feeling that the federal government really got deep into our business this past year. We saw the news reports about what went on in these other states. We, we've seen uh, police officers arresting people on the news for not wearing a mask, right? So right now, there's a strong feeling in that legislature. They've had enough of government overreach, and that translates perfectly into the discussion about the need for a Katrina-style bill, which is what we have here, and, uh, and we, we just need to get this done. Now's the time to get it done, and, and I, I think our momentum on this is very strong. Well, Rob, thanks for being on the podcast to talk about this emergency powers legislation. I want to particularly thank you because you've done a lot of the heavy lifting on this and making this happen. And I hope to have you back when these companion bills pass and they're signed into law by the governor. Yeah, I look forward to that day. We, uh, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later. I look forward to getting it done. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code podcast to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.